welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode, I speak to Hollywood film and TV director, impressive, I know, Alan Brocker. I met Alan at a BFI Q&A I was hosting. BFI is the British Film Institute in London. And I was talking to Alan about his experience uh, as part of the queer LGBTQIA plus community um, and also his iconic film um, and then following TV series Boy Culture, um, which has won tons of awards at film festivals. Um, So it's really interesting to speak to him on a personal note about his his uh, long-term relationships, breakups, living in Guam, uh, coming out as a gay man, um, and all of his experiences to do with heartbreak and relationships. So enjoy. So I am joined by film director Alan Brocker. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for inviting me. You're so welcome. Um, How does that feel? When I say to you, welcome to the divorce social. <laughs> it sounds celebratory and depressing a little bit at the same time. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, because you're not formally divorced, um, but you've no. had a breakup in your life. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I've had a, I've had a few. And as a kid, I've lived through a lot of divorces. <laughs> A lot. How many is a lot? <laughs> um, four. <laughs> what, yeah, that definitely counts yeah. as a lot. So from from living through all those divorces, what is your opinion of divorce as an adult? My opinion of divorce is that it is necessary. It's a necessary social construct that we've created to get out of 
the social contract of marriage. And I'm glad that people use it <laughs> rather than stay in these bad marriages. Um, so even though I may have gone through several as a child, I think staying in any one of those situations would have made for um, a worse childhood than than getting it, than the transition of getting out of those. What were your ages during the divorces, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, let's see. Um, oh, my goodness. The first one was fourth grade. So that was nine. <laughs> um, the second one was probably around sixth grade. So that would be 11. Um, the third one would be in the, was in high school. And then the fourth one, I wasn't there. So like I was kind of gone by then. Um, but so the, yeah, the third one was high school. But by then I was already kind of moving out on my own. The divorces were necessary. I don't know if the marriages were. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, you're in a really unique position, I guess, because I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are getting divorced and have children really worry about how it's going to impact their children or how to break it to their children. So it's really interesting that you experienced it at lots of different ages. How do you think it affected you differently at different ages? I think also there being previous ones added to it. So by the the first one, um, you know, it was a big deal, but it was a very bad situation. You know, my father was very abusive and did some very, very bad things. Um, And, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult for my mom to do. This was back in the, in the eighties. So, you know, when there weren't as many divorces, you know, I was the only kid in my class who had divorced parents at that, at that time. So, um, it was still kind of an anomaly, but it was a really hard thing and brave thing for her to get out of that situation. Had she stayed, the only reason she would have stayed would have been for the sake of us kids. Um, and I don't know if I would have survived if we, he was very abusive to, to me and um, to her. Um, so I think getting out of it uh, at that time, it was, it was traumatic, but it was also liberating. I could feel the freedom that my mom was feeling, um, you know, I was, I was 11 or wait, no, nine, it was fourth grade. So I was, I was nine at the time. Um, you know, it was a, a new adventure we were going on. We, uh, moved back home to Guam with our grandparents and, uh, you know, left, left him. And it was scary to not be normal and to know that I wasn't going to have a dad, but it was a dad that I didn't really get along with and want want to be around so for my situation i was grateful for it the second one i don't think the marriage should have happened i never felt a connection it didn't last very long so it was just like oh fine all right <laughs> less impactful maybe and then i never felt connected to anyone yeah anyone again after after that so um I don't know if it was me or them, probably a combination of the two. Like no one else was like a bad guy. Like I felt my, my, my birth dad was, was a bad guy. I would give him that judgment, but no one else was a bad guy. We just didn't, things didn't work out. The rest of them, you know, there was, there was no abuse going on. And you, But you mentioned you were the only kid in your school with divorced parents. What, well, what in my was class, that like that in I your know class? Um, a, a lot of, uh, like the, I remember the teacher um, like pulling me aside and telling me I heard that you're going through this very bad thing. Um, and, you know, just I think I was only treated specially. Um, the, my other 
anomaly for me as a, as a child though, is I went to, um, 18 different schools by the time I was 15. So I didn't really have long lasting friendships or relationships with, with anybody. So I don't even know who I was in school with at the time. I just remember that there weren't other kids, um, who, who had diverse divorced parents. It was, it was just about, Ooh, what it, so what does that mean? Who's your dad? I remember kind of dumb questions, um, and things that I didn't necessarily know the answer to, but it was just, a like I was going through a tragedy is how it, was, how it was treated. And I think, I don't know that that happens today. Uh, you know, that people are that curious about hearing about someone getting, someone's parents getting divorced. And where were you in the world during that first divorce time? Were you in the States? So during the first one, we were in Washington state and then we moved to, to like it ended, we moved to Guam um, where I was born, where my grandmother lived um to kind of regather ourselves and, and kind of reset um as well i think the divorce was finalized during that like the breakup happened we moved away and then at some point divorce papers happened and i don't really know the the timeline on that but um for me the divorce was the moving the the, the getting out of the house and moving to guam to live with our grandparents and what was that like going back to your grandparents Obviously, you were getting away from a situation you didn't want to be in. But, you know, did you change schools, I imagine, and all of that? Uh, Yeah, but I was already changing schools a lot. We moved around a lot. He was in the military. So we moved around because of that. And then we also moved around just because of moving. (laughs) So I, I was never in a place for more than a year. Um, I went once I went to a school for two days. Um, so like wow. we, there was, there was a lot of adjusting and finding ourselves in a lot of resets in my childhood. <laughs> so, um, so that's an interesting start as like an introduction for a child to relationships. Right. <laughs> Do you think that affected you or have you made your own decisions? I'm sure. I mean, it completely affected my, the lens through which I see the world. You know, uh, I never had, a friendship or anything that lasted more than a year until I, I left home, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of stability, even with, even if divorces weren't part of it, it's like we were never in the same house for more than a year. So I never laid down roots or, or knew a place really well and had like emotional attachments to, to a town and, you know, the places in the town. So in some ways, I, you know, there's stuff that I feel like I missed out on lifelong friendships, but then in other ways, I saw so much more than most other kids my age. Um, you know, I had been to many different countries in many different parts of the United States by the time I was 15. Um, I met a lot of different kinds of people. I lived in a lot of different kinds of communities, a lot of very diverse communities, uh, you know, I lived in Korea and Guam. I lived in Europe. I lived all over the United States. So I uh, met a lot of different kinds of people that I might not have been exposed to. So that I think was one of the more positive things of just always being a little bit outside of my comfort zone and always meeting new kinds of people, seeing new kinds of lives and jobs and careers and places and um, cultures. And that must have played into your work now, right? As a film director and seeing things from different angles and through different lenses. Absolutely. I think it, it kind of informed just the way I, my personality, the way I exist. I, um, I'm uh, very much an observer. I'm usually a quiet person on first meeting and uh, want to absorb, see the situation, get to know all the players, 
and then um, slowly make make an impression as they get a little bit more comfortable. And I think that is a result of just joining a, a new batch of children every few months over my childhood. It's interesting because I only moved schools once during um, that kind of primary school before you go into secondary school. But I think my reaction to it was also informed what I do now. And my reaction was to try and make friends with everyone. So you're saying you kind of step back and we're like, I'm going to work out what, how everything works. I was like, right. jump in, be best friends with everyone, <laughs> make everyone laugh. Because then, uh, you know, I'll have lots of friends and I'll be in all the friendship groups. Um, so it's interesting, those kind of people might say, or, or we might look back and be like, oh, that was a difficult situation because I had to move around a lot. But they do really bring out your personality and then inform your later life. Yeah, I mean, if I imagine if I was much more social, it might have been a different experience for me, but I wasn't a very social person. And and it was always like, uh, I'm not going to know these people in a year. You know, I, I never thought that any of the places we were moving was the place we were going to be in, in another year. So um, there was that distance too, and that, that um, feeling of we're not going to know each other a year from now. <laughs> right? Wow. So how does that then translate into romantic relationships? Because if you've not had a friendship, like a long lasting friendship, and all of a sudden you're having a relationship, did that mean you had lots of short relationships or were you just craving a long term thing? Uh, I think maybe with the little ladder, I think I definitely wanted stability and and long-term relationships. I was never one for a fling or a short relationship. Like I go on a date and I either wanted to marry you or, or not. Or sure. move on. It was kind, kind of it. I was, maybe it came on a little, a little strong. I was like, um, all right, you're my life partner. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of how I, I just wanted to, to not date around. I wanted to meet someone and build a home, build a life pretty, pretty early on. But, uh, you know, of course, all throughout that time, I was closeted. Uh, you know, I was not out because it was the eighties and, and I was a child. Um, so it was a lot harder for, for, um, young teens to come out in the eighties. But when I did come out, um, yeah, as I started dating, every person I went on a date with, I, ima- I imagined living an entire life with um, rather than, oh, you'll be fun to date for a while. I, I, I don't think I've ever had that where I dated someone because it was just fun and I knew it was only going to be temporary. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that, like (laughs) first meeting and then you're like imagining where you'd live and what your life would look like. And if your (laughs) schedules will work together. And it's funny when I started dating after my divorce, I definitely felt that. And then I had to remind myself like, no, no, just experience this for what it is now. And if you enjoy it, then see them again. You don't have to plan everything. So it's interesting when you say you were closeted, talking about your sexuality, presumably. Right. Um, were you dating both sexes then? Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't date. No, I didn't date at all until I was in college. I was always a new kid. I was Filipino in the States. <laughs> so I was often one of the very few brown kids. And then I was a total nerd. I had really thick classes. Um, I was all about just doing my homework, getting getting really good grades. So I was kind of a social pariah at every single school I went to anyway. <laughs> so that, like dating wasn't really uh, 
on the radar and I, I I knew that I liked boys, but I didn't even, I never met a gay person that I knew of. So I didn't uh, know that that was a thing or available to me until I got out of high school, really. So that's interesting. So how did you come across being gay as a thing. I spoke to someone recently actually and they said I was just chatting to them at an event but they said they didn't really understand that being gay was a thing until someone brought them to a gay bar and they were like oh my god mm-hmm. you know this is quite a few years ago now but they were like oh my god there's a bar and there's people here that I can you know that might fancy me and this is exciting and apparently the first person they spoke to at this bar they then ended up dating for like 17 years but how did oh wow how did you um discover this whole whole new world that you wanted to be part of well as a kid i um was always drawn to men (laughs) you know um i liked looking at them i liked being near masculinity i liked being in changing room like as a child (laughs) i I, um i was i knew that there was something there Um, like i had bad crushes on my on some teachers i'd met geography teacher i'd ask him questions just so we'd lean in close I'd like you know as as like a 10 year old um i knew that that was different and i never felt anything like the way i felt around men toward any women or girls um and then it was probably around the the first divorce um because it was right after we moved to guam where i um some something clicked and I looked up homosexuality and gay all in the dictionary. And I knew that that's what I was. Um, and what do, what did I do with that? Um, there were, you know, there was no internet or any, anything. So the dictionary was my, that was my in. That was, I saw a word that meant something to me that, that described me, but the only other context I'd heard that word in were negative and derogatory. It was like this awful thing. Um, it was about the time that AIDS was making a lot of headlines. And, you know, as a kid, I watching the news, I thought that AIDS was created by having gay sex. Like if you had a gay experience with someone, you would make AIDS. Right. Um, like that's was my thought of it. And I was like, this is, that's who I am. That's what's going to happen to me someday. And it was a, a horrifying place to be at, at, at 10, 12, 13. Um, so I just tried to, I thought, well, if this is what I'm going to be, I'm never going to be with anybody um, because I don't want to get AIDS and die. That's really what I thought my option was. You know, as I got older, I learned what AIDS was. I learned what that there was a whole other, there was a whole other side to being gay that I'd never seen in, in the media. The only, the only time it was ever mentioned was if it was something bad or it was the butt of a, of a joke that was just so hilarious that a guy would like another guy. And I wanted to change that. And that's, you know, when I started filmmaking, that was one of the things I wanted to do is just make positive portrayals of gay life of, you know, so that the next generation of queer kids coming of age could see movies where we're dating and we're having sex and we're building families and, um, you know, we're, we're just living our lives. And they don't have to look in the dictionary to find out right. <laughs> yeah. what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now you've got an entire Netflix library. I mean, I, I, I often wonder what my childhood experience would be now, you know, coming of age now with, with, with all of this um, available. Um, what more I could have been like, you know, um, I spent so much time hiding myself, hating myself. Um, you know, I'm sure I'd find other things to hate about myself, but, but yeah, I wonder what those things would have been. Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously I came out as bisexual after I left my marriage with a man and, you know, I like people of all genders, but even with me, you know, I wonder if, if there was more around when I was younger, if maybe I would have mm-hmm. made that realization earlier. How did you find that realization after the divorce? Like, how did you discover? Um, well, I actually had had a conversation with my ex about it when we were together and sort of said to him, you know, I think I am attracted to um, women as well um, and other genders, um, you know, maybe that's something we could explore together but it wasn't really something that ever went further than just that conversation so Mm. I was you know I was always aware of it but I just thought oh I just you know really admire that woman um uh, not that I kind of fancied her because I'd always just had relationships with men and and really only known kind of heterosexual people in my in my life and in my childhood actually that's not true when I was at school there was a really strong queer community at my school but I guess I just was in like a different group and I was just like this is my road now it's the heterosexual road and I'm going down it it was I feel like it was quite a hard thing to say out loud even though I was older and an adult and I knew who I was and I still kept second guessing it. And I think I've spoken to a lot of um, bisexual people, actually, or pansexual people, if they prefer to be known as that, that you you do always second guess it because, you know, if I'm dating a man for a while, then I'm like, am I still bisexual? Have I reversed? You know, like, do I remember just after I came out, I snogged a man and then I was like, oh my God, quickly have to snog someone else to even it up. And there's this weird, like, I feel like I constantly have to prove my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, I'm learning uh, from uh, the amazing community that, you know, you're allowed to be whatever you like. You don't have to have, you know, you could have had sex with no one and mm-hmm. still be, you know, queer or however you identify um, as gay or bisexual, pansexual. Or, But it, it is a funny one. I kept sort of deciding and then undeciding it because I'd fancy a man then. And I'd be like, no, no, I must be straight because I, I do fancy that man. Um So, yeah, it was like I'm learning and making sort of a new decision for myself. But I felt I felt so relieved when I I think it was one I was in bed one day. I watched um, I don't know if you've seen Mae Martin's series Feel Good. She's a comedian in UK. No, I, I I haven't. I I do want to watch it. I added it to my list. It looks it looks really fun. Yeah, it's brilliant. There's a couple of series, and they're both great. And 
So I, I was obviously having this decision and then I just, I think I just watched the second series of her show, you know, and she's having a relationship with a woman and then the woman she's having a relationship hasn't been with a woman before May. So, so that was sort of like stirring up stuff in me because um, she was sort of asking herself similar questions. And so it was just, I remember it was on my mind constantly. Like everything I was doing, I was like at the supermarket thinking, am I bisexual? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like constantly like remaking and unmaking this decision. And then I was lying in bed one night and I just said out loud, I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, oh, thank God we've made the decision. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it just, it was such a relief. And I didn't post it on socials or anything for a while. Um but when I did, it was it was just nice. You know, my friends knew and I'd I'd had a relationship with a woman before I, you know, publicly came out and even really made that decision out loud. But yeah, it was it was an interesting one. But people still always do the joke to me like, oh, you're just greedy or <laughs> right. think you want a threesome and uh, women think you're not committed enough to the uh well, some women think you're not committed enough to the gay uh, female cause. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's still a lot in there. But yeah, I love that uh, that a TV show helped you on that journey, and that's one of the reasons I I am a storyteller and why I tell these kind of stories is just it's amazing how helpful film and television can be in just figuring out who you are and where you fit in the world and finding people like yourself and connecting with with other people through their stories. Yeah, it's amazing. I was watching Sex Education, which is on Netflix. I love that show. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this would have been so useful when I was that age of just right. like information, but also, you know, done in a really entertaining, like fun way. But I was like, oh my God, this is like a Bible for teenagers. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's the ad break. Would you like 
some divorce social merchandise. Oh, yeah. Give me a divorce social tote bag. Give me a divorce social sticker and mug. All right, then. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S, that's my name, and you will get access to be able to join up to our Patreon. That supports the admin costs of the podcast. It also means you have access to merchandise and a 90s-style chat room where we talk about divorce and heartbreak and overcoming it and being fierce, amazing humans. Don't forget to leave a review of the podcast as well and hit subscribe on all your podcast platforms. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter at DivorcePod and I'm at Samantha Baines. Enjoy this advert because it makes me 2p every time you listen. 2p isn't maybe the real amount. I've made that up as an approximation, but thank you anyway. So the the breakup that, that we're going to talk about, how long was that relationship and where were you in the world and in your life at that time? Probably my first significant breakup was in my 20s. We were together for three years. Um, and I wasn't actually prepared to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I guess I could have, I'm going to have to do some digging and remembering. Um, we, we just kind of weren't a fit. We had we definitely had a lot in common, uh, but I wanted to I wanted to just to meet someone and stay with them, and you know, and not go through a breakup and not go through anything. Uh, we lived together, we we got a, a place together. So the breakup was like a kind of a long process. It was first we moved apart, but kept dating, and then um, finally we we ended the relationship. And, um, I think that, I don't know, I was, I was kind of happy with the, with the, the longer breakup. I think I needed that to, to transition out of it. Um, you know, he'd become such a big part of my life, but ultimately what I wanted to do, I was living in Seattle at the time. I wanted to move to Los Angeles, go to film school and become a director. Um, and he wanted to live not in a city somewhere small and and live a, just a very different life that was what he wanted to do and we we're both in our 20s so um it wasn't going to work um and we kind of ignored that for the most of the time we were together and then as it just as it got closer to figuring out what we're going to do with our lives we realized it that it had to come to an end um so so i mean it was it was amicable it, there wasn't a lot of fighting or stress but it was still really difficult and really scary. And I was worried that I would not meet someone again. Um, and what if I move to LA and fail and then I'll be alone and, <laughs> and in LA for, for the, you know, I'll be an alone failure. And at least I could have, you know, I could have moved to the country with them and done, you know, done what, done what you wanted to do. So that was all very, um, scary and depressing to me. Um, I cried, but I mean, honestly, the breakup was, couldn't have been more friendly and cordial. Like even when we ended it, we said we, we kissed each other one last time. Like it was like, it was a discussion on the couch and we, we had one last passionate kiss before we officially ended. That sounds like a movie moment breakup. <laughs> it does sound like a movie. <laughs> it does sound like a fake breakup now, but that's really, really how it, happened how was that so that was your first real experience because as you said you moved around a lot so 
I guess you didn't really even have a long friendship that then ended. So this was your first intimate relationship that broke up. How was the first experience of heartache for you? Um, it, it was tough. It was um, sad and depressing, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it was it was bittersweet because there was still this um, element of freedom as well because I definitely had been repressing all of this. The thing in my life was that I wanted to leave and go to Los Angeles, go to film school and like become a filmmaker. And um, I was kind of hedging on all of that during this relationship because I was in this amazing relationship with this amazing person. We had an apartment together. We were building a life together. And, you know, and it was, it was all on me. He wasn't asking me to not do that. I wanted, I was wanting to make this work and not having that on my plate anymore, not keeping that out of, out of the picture for me, um, helped me to concentrate on it. And so I poured everything into applying to every film school, making, making movies, making connections, um, and setting myself up to make the move. And then I didn't uh, make the move, but, um, I think if I'd stayed in the relationship, I don't know. I don't know if I ever would have, or I, I imagine if I'd stayed in the relationship, we would have broken up anyway for, for other reasons. And then I would have just been later on what would, what already felt pretty late for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess sometimes you sort of have to lose everything. Sounds very dramatic, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Move everything away from your space so that you have the the freedom to go and do what you actually want and I guess you didn't have a relationship so you weren't rooted anymore so you had to make film school work Mm -hmm. was there a moment because obviously now you are a successful (laughs) award-winning was there a moment when you thought oh wow thank thank god I left thank god I did that I'm glad I did no no actually no not really um uh, often it'll be the opposite. I'll think about, I, I wonder what my life would have been if I had stayed and we just tried to make it work. What, what were we doing? You know, what would I be doing? Where would I have found happiness? Because I'm sure I would have tried to find happiness somewhere, but I've tried to become a local filmmaker. I don't, I, I wonder things about that. Um, and we're Facebook friends now. Um, so I, I check his feed, <laughs> you know, uh, and he checks mine. Do you ever think, oh, you could maybe get back together in the future oh, no 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 we, we both i've been in a relationship now for almost 13 years and he's been in one for almost i think 20 years now so i just want your life to be a film and i want it to be a romantic <laughs> comedy that's what that's what i'm saying <laughs> so so how did that losing your first love and sounds like maybe you know you didn't grieve too much because you had this focus of going to film school. How did Mm -hmm. that then inform your relationships after that? Well, after that, I came here and I was still in the, okay, LA is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Now I can find the person to settle down with. And I could not, it was hard. LA is a really, really tough place to date. Uh, It's a really tough place to find a person to, that you want for a long-term relationship. It's an easy place to hook up, it's an easy place to meet someone and have sex, um, to maybe even go on a second date with. But um, I hit like a 10-year streak of being single, of just feeling like a, a loser and pathetic. And the worst would be like going out, meeting somebody, having an incredible time, 
And then um, that moment after you, you've hooked up and you're just wondering, does he want to walk over? Does he want to leave? Or does he want to spend some more time with me? And that was always such a dark and depressing place because 99% of the time they wanted to leave right away. And it was, I um, went through a lot of just hating myself and thinking I would never be with anyone again. So that was tough. That was like, a, I, I didn't go on more than more than a couple dates with anybody um, for, for, for a decade, you know, um, and I wanted to. I, I was always the one who wanted to go on another day. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was like, what's wrong with me? Why isn't this happening? Why does, is it really, does nobody want a relationship or does nobody want one with me? <laughs> I mean, we've all been there of like, well, yeah. what's happening? Why doesn't anyone like me? How, how did you get yourself out of that place so um well what i did was uh i just got sick of it i got i got sick of all of it and i i said okay here's what we're gonna do there was it was match.com came around in the you know in the mid two 2000s and i was like here's a site where people are looking to date. Like it wasn't a, there are plenty of hookup sites. This is one where people want to get their relationship. So I'm going to pay for a subscription and I'm just going to go on a date with every single person that matches me up with and meet them out. And basically these are going to be my, um, my interviews <laughs> for, for people. Um, the first person I met on match is the person I'm with now. Um, wow. I, but I scheduled like 10, so I, I I just happened to meet him first. We we met for like lunch in Santa Monica, and then I went on like a bunch more, like just kind of one meeting. And he kind of just stuck out to me. We so we continued to go on dates, and um, it will be thirteen years in July. Oh, wow! Congrats! I love that. I was <laughs> but, I was like, how did you get out of that place? And I thought you were going to be like, I did some therapy, I healed myself. You're like, no, <laughs> I interviewed people. <laughs> I made a list. <laughs> totally. It was like probably I I, 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 love I was like it. I need to do this. I need to get this. I need but to like I'm getting serious about dating. Yeah, it's like exhausted. Um, and it was just very systematic. <laughs> I don't, it wasn't the most romantic thing, but um, it worked. <laughs> and what and what's it like being? you know, a film director and people know your work and see your work. And a lot of your work is about relationships and, you know, gay relationships and gay culture and sex workers. Do you find that there's a lot of people prying into your private life and your relationship status? And how do you cope with that? You know, um, not really. When I was younger, you know, I had made the eating out movies, which are all about all about getting laid and um i was like oh people will totally be wanting to date me <laughs> <Or something>. they'll, <laughs> t- they'll talk about relationships it'll come up and they'll be like are you single and i'll say yes and then we'll go on a date it'll be wonderful um but it never really <laughs> worked out that way um you know uh <laughs> I, I i think i met a few people who who knew who knew my work that and then we went on dates but it's it was kind of still the same problem where it, there were people who weren't looking for relationships. It was, you know, it was more people looking for 
for fun, which is fine. It just, I was looking for a relationship every single time. So I love how positive you were. You were like, people will love (laughs) and then they'll want to date me. I'm like, when I set up this podcast, I was like, it's called The Divorce Social. Oh my God, I'm going to bar myself forever. Like, no one will want to date me. I mean, it's not why I date them, but I just thought, you know, oh, it can come up in conversation now. They'll know it. They'll know that I'm gay at least. (laughs) I love it if it was why you may imagine just, I've just become a film director so I can date people. And this is like my dating video (laughs) in a film. That's interesting that people don't tend to kind of pry into your relationship. Do you think that's a director thing? Because obviously a lot of actors, I think, would feel the opposite. Or is it a man thing? It it might be a little of all of that. Um, I also don't offer it a lot as well. Um, So um, it could be that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like with, with boy culture, people did ask me if I knew a lot of hustlers and things like that. But um, they didn't ask me if I ever dated one. Or <laughs> I don't think anyone ever asked. Have you ever dated a hustler? I'll ask. Yeah. There you go. Oh, um, Exclusive. Oh, uh, <laughs> I didn't date. I, I dated people who have, who have been hustlers, but I don't think that I know of that I was dating anyone who was doing it at the time. Not that I know of, but... It wouldn't be surprising to me if, if some, if, you know, if some, if some of them had. And what do you mean by hustler? Uh, paying, paying for, paid for sex, yeah, being paid for sex or the time in which you would have sex. <laughs> it's been so interesting to hear about your relationship history, having seen your work first, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know your your work is very centered around relationships and intimate relationships do you get your ideas from real life why do you think so much of your work centers around those areas well I think part of it is the work that has been able to be made so I've written lots of scripts but um the ones that get made tend to be um things that can be done with smaller budget and center LGBT relationships um the eating out movies came from me wanting to see basically college sex comedies with us at the center where we weren't just the butt of the jokes, where it was about a boy doing anything to get to another boy. And I don't know if you've seen them, but there's five movies and the central premise of all of them is the main character wants to be with somebody and they pretend to be something they're not in order to get close to that person. Um, And it, of course it all it always backfires and they ultimately learn in the in the end they just need to be themselves um just just stop hiding who they were and so um that all came from just wanting to see that boy culture just was an opportunity um it was, i met the person who had optioned the novel it was based on a novel and they were looking for a, a writer to adapt it. And then I, so I made an adaptation and, and then they hired me to direct. So that I kind of lucked into, and it happens to be about relationships. I don't know that I, it would have occurred to me to tell the story of a hustler getting into a, a real life relationship if I hadn't lucked into the opportunity. But the series that you saw, which picks up from the movie 10 years later, um, that explores the breakup. Uh, in depth so they break they break up in the intervening years and this is about what it's like living with someone that you've broken up with Um, and the whole series in the whole series they are not together and they're kind of moving further apart uh, but living together at the same time 
And that came from a few different inspirations. One being we wanted to not tell the same story again of them falling in love and being in love. And then the the second, um, the writer of the novel who I co-wrote the series with was in that, that situation at the same time that we were writing it. He had just broken up from a very long-term relationship and they were living together in an apartment. And so um, that was just so interesting to me. I had another person that I was very close to was going through the same thing where they uh, were broken up. They'd been together for 15 plus years and were living together. And so I thought this is such an interesting world and topic. It's nothing that I'm, that I have experienced on my own, but I can absolutely imagine imagine what that would be like. And then, you know, the co-writer was living it. Yeah. I mean, you asked me before we started um, recording the podcast, why I thought of you for this. And, and I was like, I don't know. I just ask everyone I meet, but actually I think it must've been watching that series and, and just feeling that it was so relatable. And I know so many of, of my listeners and the people I interview you know, have that situation where you have to live with your ex for a while because of right. you know loads of outside factors, and and you've got you know these two different lives going on, all centered around this one house, and there's the love maybe still there, but the awkwardness there, and like dating new people and bringing them home, and there's there's just so much in there, and so much to relate to in in so many breakup scenarios so I just I guess subconsciously (laughs) I associated you with that do you think you learn anything from making that film about breakups because you said you haven't lived with someone but your your co-writer had yeah um I learned that it is easier than I imagined it would be like I think going into this, I would, my thought would have been, why would anyone ever do that? The first thing you'd have to do is get out, right? <laughs> like, like, why would you, why would you not do that? And then um, on, upon examination and, you know, talking with people who are going through it, it, it's a lot more complicated than that, you know, and breakups aren't, aren't always an ugly, messy thing. Um, like my own breakup, it was, it was just, we needed, we were coming to new chapters in our lives. And that's pretty much what happens in this, series as well um the final breakup it's really just a conversation like there aren't big dramatic fights or no one doing anything awful to the other person it's it's them discovering their paths are, are not aligned at, at the same time um one of them is always more in love with the other but it's never quite you know one of them is always in a state of heartbreak in this so um yeah i guess that's what i learned is that it's i can Absolutely. See, if I were the relationship where I were in now, I could absolutely see if we had to break up us living together. Um, and, you know, not just I think it would be a civil one of those civil ones. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's funny because that isn't represented a lot kind of amicable breakups, amicable. You know, mine was fairly amicable. I mean, during divorce proceedings, it always gets a bit sticky. But um you know, that actual conversation, you know, sounds like yours, like, you know, we kissed and and said we loved each other and were crying and said nice things to each other. And we've actually got a series over here in the UK called The Split, which is about um, divorce lawyers getting divorced. And there's a sort Uh. of amicable-ish 
divorce that plays out in that. And it it did make me realize you very rarely see, I guess, conflict is meant to be the heart of all drama, but you very rarely see just a, you know, standard, they still like each other, but they have to break up kind of scenario. So you imagine that you have to scream at someone to break up with them and then storm <laughs> <Right>. out. <laughs> So it was, it was lovely to, to see in, in your series. Yeah, we don't see that a lot. I, I, it's not why I made it. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but we, yeah, we don't see that. We could see more of that. Yeah, so more more series like that, please. That's my request <laughs> from you, Alan. More pleasant breakups, please. <laughs> yes, please. More queer pleasant breakups. Um, so if you, um, just to round off, if, if anyone has been listening to your story and, and they can relate, I think especially to that period where you were like dating people that you felt like no one wanted to long-term date you and you were in that kind of despair of why does, no, I'm never going to meet anyone, which I was definitely, I've been there. What words of wisdom or maybe advice would you offer them? I don't know that I have any good advice. (laughs) I mean, what I did doesn't seem like the right way to do it. I just like made a checklist and like, here's everyone who says they're looking for a relationship. I'm just going to meet all of them. One of them's going to have to, right. One of them's going to have to click. Um, and I mean, I would suggest to do that, I guess, get on, get on an app where people are definitely looking for relationships, but I don't know if that has changed. I'm not in that world. So I don't know if people are all on there and just lying now. Um, but that was one of the things I did like about Match is you paid for a subscription. I'm like, so if people are really looking to hook up, there's so many free hookup sites. They're not going to be on your paying. So at least I'll know that they're looking for a relationship. Oh, that's and that'll so, narrow yeah. down the field a lot. Good point. So that's what I needed help for. I needed, I needed help just narrowing it down to people who were looking for a relationship. And, and I wanted that. Um, I don't know that that's the right way i don't know that if that'll work work for everyone and i'm sure i missed out on a lot of amazing people who maybe weren't looking for a relationship but would have come to that realization once they started dating me but they didn't show themselves for 10 years so (laughs) but i think law of averages is quite a good option like often like friends of mine have been complaining or i've been complaining and my friends are like yeah but you're not how many dates have you been on and i'm like two and they're like, well, you need to date more people. You can't just date two people and expect one of them to be like the love of your life. So I think it is a good reminder of like, you need to get out there to meet someone amazing. Because if you're not out there, how are you going to meet them? Right. Yeah. Which is important, I think. And getting out there is easier than ever. It's just putting your picture on an app, right? Exactly. Although we all need a film director for our pictures. Because some of them are bad. I need direction. Right. I'm like, how can I look romantic and wistful, but still right. you'd want to commit to me? So maybe that can be a, a new sideline in your film work. Right. <laughs> Directing dating pictures. I mean, you probably don't want to be dealing with those people. Stick to stick to performers. Um, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find you online and watch all your wonderful work? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alan Broca, A-L-L-A-N-B-R-O-C-K-A. And I'm not sure in England, but most of my work is up, uh, available on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. Um, Boy Culture, 
Rick and Steve, the happiest gay couple in all the world and the eating outcomes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.